Science fiction has helped society look to the future with shows like Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Battlestar Galactica. And movies like Star Wars, The Matrix, and The Avengers have helped us pioneer the use of new technologies and to never give up on the human spirit. Fantasy stories like The Lord of the Rings, The Chronicles of Narnia, and even the game Dungeons and Dragons have helped us look at the past with an open mind, but have led us to question the fundamental principles like good and evil, right and wrong, reality versus fantasy, and to question our morality versus our humanity. Cosplay has always blurred the lines between science fiction, fantasy, and reality. For those to participate in the hobby, advancements in technology have caused more and more people to participate in cosplay. With the addition of 3D and resin printers, it's even easier to make and mass-produce the costumes and props from our favorite TV shows and movies. To the public, the ever-expanding worlds of science fiction and comic book conventions have led to more and more cosplayer interactions. This podcast is your exclusive space for science fiction news. This podcast is your place to catch up on the world of fantasy. This podcast is your place to talk about the role of cosplay. This podcast is... The Galaxy Folks, welcome to this episode of the Galaxy Cast. I have with me now, as always, two people in the studio. We have several things we're going to talk about today, so we're going to get to them here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the fact that finally, finally, Lucasfilm is now have Lucasfilm Games, not LucasArts, not LucasArts Games. We're going to explain that all in just a little bit. We're then going to talk about the rumor. The forced out and rumor that Lars Mikkelsen may be in a live action TV show. We're going to talk about, well, we're going to have a memorial today about all the people we lost in 2020 as far as actors uh, for Star Wars. And then we're going to end because we don't want to end on a negative. Uh, it's still going to be kind of a negative about all the delays for Fox movie release dates, Disney delays that we know of, and just the craziness that came with COVID and how that's still affecting everything that's going on uh, as far as the movie industry. So let's get right to it. So in an announcement on January 11th-ish, StarWars.com announced that they would be branding a new identity for all their gaming titles for Lucasfilm going forward. And then released a logo, which basically is the Lucasfilm logo with the word games underneath it. Instead of, uh, what, L Limited? Well, it was it used to be LucasArts uh, with no, games underneath the, it. The Lucasfilm logo, the games is not games normal. It's something else. I'm trying to remember what that right. is. So it says, the, the press release says, Lucasfilm's legacy in gaming sketches back decades Oh, stretches back, not sketches. And with Lucasfilm and the galaxy far, far away, entering a new and unprecedented phase of creativity, or as I like to call it, killing, so will the world of Lucasfilm <laughs> games, developed in collaboration with the <laughs> finest studios across the industry. StarWars.com is thrilled to reveal that Lucasfilm's games is now the official identity for all gaming titles from Lucasfilm, a name that encompasses the company's rich catalog of video games and its eye toward the future. 
To mark this new era, Lucasfilm Games has launched social channels on Twitter. Nobody cares. Facebook, no one cares. Which will deliver breaking news and more directly to fans. You can watch a special sizzle reel celebrating the history of games from Lucasfilm below. Yes, if I want to puke on my keyboard, I will do that. The Lucasfilm Games logo feature above will appear in all future Lucasfilm game titles. You're not salty about this at all. Not at all. Well, all right. Let me tell you about the history between me and LucasArts Games because, yes, I'm, I am I am salty about this to no end. I, okay. LucasArts Games really, over the years, have disappointed me on so many levels and in so many different ways. And it's the only reason you went and bought the new console in the I first know. Place. Usually I upgrade to a new console because some game made me want to upgrade to a new console. For example, I went to the PS2 to get the Bounty Hunter game, which had Django Fett in it. I went to oh. PS3 because they released The Force Unleashed. I think it was the first one, not uh, the second one. I think it was a different game first. Force Unleashed came towards the end of the console. Did it? Yeah. Uh, Force Unleashed was considered one of the pinnacle of the console, and it was one of the... Oh, you know what I think brought me to that one was... I think it was the newer Battlefront. The Battlefront, Battlefront game. Battlefront 2 game, you're right. That's Not what brought me... Not the newest me. one that came out. The right. one that came out like right after, after your episode but Yeah, Battlefront 2. So that, that, that brought me to yeah. the PS3. What brought me to the PS4 was also Battlefront. <laughs> Ironic. But that was the Battlefront... For the PlayStation 4, which is why you have the Darth Vader PlayStation. Correct. I have the Darth Vader version of the PS4. And by the way, I don't plan on buying a PS5 anytime soon. Everybody keeps asking me. I'm like, nope. Well, isn't there a rule? Why? Of, <laughs> our rule of consoles is normally we don't wait. We wait till like Gen Five. Uh, yes. Well, I well not necessarily Gen Five, but I certainly don't buy Gen One. I did it once. I did it for the PS3. I yes. bought the PS3 Fat. I was all excited at the fact that it was cross-platformed, that it was supposedly played Blu-ray discs, and, and you could go play your PlayStation. I could play two my games. PlayStation Two games. I think on you did it. that once and it crashed the system. No, 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 no. no Actually, it, it worked fine for oh, PS2 okay. games. I played PS2 games with my brother. We did. We did. I I played on. It okay. So for those who don't know, the PS Fat had a known issue with the Blu-ray laser. It dies. It just ultimately dies. They knew it. They sent it out anyway. Uh, anybody who had a PS Fat, basically, all the lasers have died on them over the years. And either you fix it, uh, which by the way costs about as much as buying a PS4 Slim. So or PS3 Slim. Jeez. So I went out and bought the Slim because I was like, screw that happy crap. I'm not doing that again. Have you seen that so. they came out with a PS3 Ultra Slim, which is essentially like a third the size? Yes. I don't want to talk and about it because it, it it's disgusting. Look, it doesn't look anything interesting. It's just like this yeah, like top discs you slide. Well, it's over. because they don't have to, they're not making money off that. That's just out there to keep it going. So Lucasfilm Games. Let me ask you, is there any LucasArts games that you've played that have like totally intrigued you and been like, yes, I love this I game? I mean, The Force Unleashed Duel, because there wasn't a third one. The duology of yeah. The Force Unleashed? <laughs> I couldn't remember how to embrace that. Did they totally like enthrall you, or are you just like, this is really good? I really liked them. I wasn't necessarily like, I liked, I wanted to know more about Starkiller. I wanted to know more about... Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, the storyline in it was kind of cool. went from one to two... Could they clone Jedi? Could right. they not? It was that was the question that was never answered, and I kind of wanted a third to finish it. I kind of liked the Rancor in it. It was kind of cool. I mean, as far as that was concerned, the only thing I hated about those games, and it's my biggest bait about any game, is cutscene time buttons where you have to press them in the right setting. I agree. They happen in Resident Evil Four as well. It's like yeah, time hate, button presses. It, I hate cutscenes. They just suck. Well, not even cutscenes. I like cutscenes. It's the time no, it's button the, presses yeah, the, in the middle yeah. of them. 
these like you have I five it, seconds to press this button or you're going to be dead. I, I call it the Dragon's Lair effect. If for those who've played Dragon's Lair, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, it was a game in the 1980s. The technical term is quick time event. Was that what it's called? It's a quick called time to, event. I had to all remember. Right. There's there's a few YouTubers who complain. About I it as I well. don't game enough to know all the little ins and outs of that, but uh, I I never liked I liked Dragon's Lair's story. I liked the look of the video game. I loved the game. I hated the playing of said game because it was the same thing. It was quick cuts, and then you had to quick push the A button three times or, you know, push A, B, A, C, A, you know, and you had to do it exactly in that order, and if you didn't, then you died. And if, if you had you, to do it remember, right at that second, because if you didn't do it right at that second, then you died. If you remember so. when you did Force Unleashed 1, in order to defeat, like, the Rancor or the mm -hmm. ATSC or some of the bigger main bosses. Yeah, you had to do that kind of stuff. You had to do these cutscenes, and it was like, mash X until you can't mash it anymore. Then press square. Then yeah. hit triangle. And I'm like, I don't. this is the reason why I don't like playing Mortal Kombat. I don't do combos. Yep. I, oh, I do them. My you you got to play those games the way I play those games. Mortal what? Kombat and those. Button Just mashing. mash the crap Which out of the Which is what buttons. I do. Which is what I do, but they when you do the training... And the tutorial levels, which is what I like to do. Yeah, they tell you not to do that. They try to teach you the 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 yeah, the hell with that. The combos. That's why I don't do the tutorials. And it's why I'm sitting there looking at the combos, going, I can't do that. Can we? That's why I don't do the combos. I just sit there with the you know controller in my other hand and go. Yeah, that's how I do it. And that's what I do normally when I'm in the match. But in order to sometimes when you start a game, they run you through a training thing, and you have to learn the combos. No, I get it. And it's kind of like that's frustrating. I don't want to do that. I it wanna, is. I just. I don't listen to it or pay attention to it. I just go through it. And I try to do what it. Else? It was like Injustice Two. You get into this first session. They're teaching you how to do these things, and it's like go back three times, press forward once, and press X. And I go back three times, press forward, and press X, and nothing happens. I'm like, so why? I just like to put on something here. The irony, irony behind this conversation we're having. The irony is, I asked you if there's anything you were like, yes, I love Lucas Arts Gaming, and you really kind of named one sort of, but well, then you immediately started talking about everything else and the things you didn't like about that Lucas Arts game, which I, is fine because I'm going to talk about something in a minute, but that's okay. I like the original Battlefront games. I don't like the new ones that are remakes because the remake ones, there's too many areas for them to camp, too many campy things that can happen, and it's very annoying. Whereas the other one, it was like, if I wanted to go play the campaign and be by myself and have my own party, I could do that. Whereas this one, you can't do it on, on You can only go online. So let me tell you why I've gotten annoyed at Star Wars games over the years. Do tell. So, all the way back with Episode 1, they came out with a game that totally yeah. irked me because... It was a great game. It had all this great gameplay. You could be Mace Windu. You could be all sorts of Jedi. Jedi uh, but, power battles. Right, Jedi power battles. But the worst part of the whole game was camera angles. You jump onto a roof of a building in Naboo or in Coruscant, and suddenly the camera jumps into the corner, and you can't even see yourself. Yeah. It was so annoying. I used to scream at that game so bad. Uh, that was the game I used to scream at so much that you were the one that sat down next to me and went crap and threw the controller well, because I was doing that so much it wasn't as a exactly player. That word, but but yes, it was a different word, but I don't want to say that on the air. <laughs> um, and your mother's like, "No, you can't yell at him for for." And and you so must I was. This. <laughs> I yes, I, I'll admit I was extremely frustrated with that game to the point that I was like, "I'm never gaming Star Wars games ever again." Wasn't that your mother laughed? She goes, "Yes, you will," because I did. <laughs> Wasn't that your complaint about uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter sometimes? Well, I was just about to say. So then you get into <laughs> Bounty Hunter, right? So Bounty Hunter had great graphics, had a great idea, great concepts. You're running around Coruscant. You're chasing down bounties. Every once in a while, 
Yes. You would get in a situation where you could oh, not see where you were trying to go. Like, maybe you wanted to go down this tube, but the only way to find out where to go was to literally jump down the tube, die one or two times to figure out what angle you had to jump at in order to get there. So these are kind of like the, what, the best way I could describe it to people who have never experienced it before. If you've ever played Lara Croft Tomb Raider, it's like playing <laughs> Tomb Raider with really bad camera angles. Really bad camera angles. So, you know, yes, Bounty Hunter, I it was better. Like, they improved the camera angles from the first one to this one. But they were both, by the way, by EA Games. I just want to point that out. So a lot of this comes back to EA Arts. Wasn't there also, a, before these two companies, wasn't Bioware producing them? They produced the Republic Commandos games. They produced well, that's the ironic the thing. The Knights no, of the Old Republic. And- <laughs> the ones I didn't play were by Bioware, and everybody's told me since I should have been playing those games because they were better. You, but, play, you played Republic Commandos. That was by Bioware. I did, but I played it on computer. I did not play it on on a con- gaming console. That was still by Bioware. Okay, I get it. It was by Bioware. A lot of my friends played Republic Commandos, I believe, on Xbox because it, was, it came out on Xbox. It was on Xbox, but there but wasn't places. But I never played any of the Xbox games. So the that game I never played on Xbox. I never ever played Knights of the Old Republic. Everybody's like, "Wait, what? You didn't?" I I didn't do Xbox games. I was really disappointed that Bioware never released them for. Any of the PlayStation consoles, they should have, for you know, in my opinion, but they never did because I was not. I also like sports games for those people that don't know, and I also like first-person shooters for those that don't know. And honestly, that PlayStation is the king of first-person shooters and sports games. Uh, unfortunately, not so good for Star Wars games. No, nope. but I think Star Wars games have been bad across the board. You know, other than Knights of the Old Republic and the ones that Bioware did, the ones that EA has done have been terrible. I mean. Battlefront had so much potential. The first two Battlefronts that came out had so much potential. They were kind of fun when I started, but after a while, it got bland. It's It was the same old, same old. Hey, go destroy this ship here. Go destroy that aircraft there. Go capture this command go, post. Yeah, go capture this command post and hold it. And so it got boring. It, it just it, it, and, and if you got the Jedi power up, you were pr- practically... Like, you were you like a god. You, you could walk be stopped. on water. Yes. You, you, could, you could lift them up in the air. And right. It wasn't realistic in that regard. Yeah. And then Battlefront 2 got better. But then the space battle part of Battlefront 2 now I'm oh, talking about the original oh. one back and when, was awful. It was clunky, oh, and we were kind of like, this This is awful. I remember I, you and I used to get frustrated I, playing it. We would skip it. We would yeah, skip we would the, try to skip it if we could. We had the option to skip those chapters, and we would skip them. Yeah. And I, when I got on my laptop back in college because I was feeling, feeling nostalgic, I skipped those chapters. I couldn't yeah, handle it. I, I get did it. one tutorial of them, and I'm like, ugh, I'm getting, either I'm getting so sick or I can't handle it. Every time I stepped up, I thought, well, it's got to get better. <laughs> it's got to get better. Now, i got to be honest, Force Unleashed and Force Unleashed 2 came out, and actually I was really happy with the Force Unleashed and the Force Unleashed 2. Great storylines, great graphics. It was like finally somebody had said to EA Arts, hey, how do you do this? Well, what we found out later was EA Arts kind of sort of ran it. It was more run by Lucasfilm, and EA Arts slapped their name on it. So believe it or not, that one was run more in-house than any of the other games that came out. And since then... It's kind of like I feel like it's all gone downhill again. We got Battlefront and Battlefront 2 from EA Arts as online games. Again, the potential on them, huge, huge. And I feel like they are a gigantic letdown. And even up till recently, we got what's the latest? Squadrons. Squadrons. I'm disappointed with Squadrons. I got to be honest. The game controls clunky. People can move faster than you, and it feels weird. I don't like the fact that I can't even lock on to anybody anymore. Like, if I, if I put a lock-on out, right, like, 
So that, if you've that never might played, be a, it might be a thing you have hooked up that might slow your lock time down. I'm not 100 sure. I have to look at your ship stuff, but some of them, they're like, if you don't read the information precisely, some of them say "dumb fire weapon," which means it will not lock on. Huh. Okay. So you have to be like within two inches of them to fire, which is really stupid because you can't get within two inches of anybody in a dogfight. But whatever. It's it just the whole game is clunky to me. It seems very clunky, and basically, unless you have that, uh, what is it, five hundred dollar, you know, Hotas controller, you're basically screwed in the whole game. And and I get it. People not- are like, well, you bought a PS4, and you can get them buying the controller. I don't really want to spend on five hundred dollars on a controller that I'm going to use for like three games and then not, never say. use again. So why have I not gotten one? Because you know what? It's it's the principle of the matter more than anything else. Just because so, I have the console doesn't mean I buy all the Here's the thing I look forward to. I'm hoping with Lucasfilm kind of reclaiming all of this as Lucasfilm games, maybe they'll think about improving things. Now, here's the good sign. First good sign thing I've heard in a while. So the first open world Star Wars game has been confirmed. Confirmed. That's right. A brand new open world Star Wars game is being developed by massive entertainment via Ubisoft. It will mark the first of its kind for the franchise. In an exclusive interview with StarWars.com, Douglas Riley, the vice president of Lucasfilm Games, shares all kinds of awesome news. Specific details about this new story-driven game has not been released yet, but with the announcement from the earlier this week, it seems Disney and Lucasfilm Limited are not messing around when it comes to catering to gamers and Star Wars fans. They've got big plans for the future, and right out of the gate, we've gotten some pretty massive news with an open-world game. It will give players the ability to move as they wish, interact with other characters, use skills or items to advance the story, and more. This could very well be the most expansive Star Wars game to date. The possibilities for gameplay are literally endless with what we might see. Now, I'm okay with this. This, this has me excited. I have concerns. So, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, going on, the article says, Riley also confirmed the door is now open for other top-tier companies to come play in the Star Wars sandbox and makes games that everyone wants to play. Lucasfilm's near-decade-old relationship with EA, the developer that brought us more recent Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Star Wars The Old Republic, and, of course, the latest offering, Star Wars Squadron, is still very much intact, and they still plan to work with them on Star Wars games going forward. What? Basically, we're going to work with them long enough to make money off of them, and then bye-bye, EA, and we're going on with these guys because they seem to know what the heck they're doing. Okay, go ahead. What did you think of Star Wars Fallen Order on a side note? Well, of what I've played of it so far, I like it, actually. I should I, play more of it. I really should get back to it. I've gotten all the way to the end. I've customized the lightsaber almost all the way out. I kind of like it. I also wish we could find more of the customization options, but I probably haven't played through the sections that I have to define them. Right. My concern is Ubisoft. Why Ubisoft? There has been notable, a few notable games over the years that have had either bad controls or bad graphic issues or both, and it's been a long time coming for them. There's what, a lot of issues. I'm not. 100%. What's a game that Ubisoft's done that I would know? Like I've been thinking about that too. Like I don't know much about Ubisoft. I would be more happy if they decided to say, "Oh, we're going to work with Bethesda." You know, the creators of Skyrim. They've been known to do really good games. So here's some games by Ubisoft. They have Sigma Seven. Battle Chess, uh, Maniac Mansion, Chuck Yeager's Air Combat. Uh, Mega Man 7 from the NES. Warcraft 2, Tides of Darkness. That's a pretty well-known game. Web Pinball, down. Diablo. Oh, they did Diablo. See, now I like the Diablo games. I you really, really do. I've oh, never yeah. played Diablo. Diablo's awesome, man. StarCraft, oh. that's another one that's awesome. 
Seven Kingdoms. I didn't realize that Ubi. Oh, Ubisoft's behind Sid Meier's Civilization. Okay. Okay, so there might be some good games. I'm out. telling you. I mean, as far as computer gaming, these guys are the bomb. I'm but looking at all this to going. Consoles, where I'm concerned, because I'm a I console player. I'm not a. a I, don't. I am too. I get it. But I'm looking at their. I'm just looking at their. Their titles that did come out. These are big deals. Like you know. Star Trek Tactical Assault, that was a pretty big deal back in the day. Back on the Nintendo DS. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Holy Star crap. Trek Encounters was great on PlayStation 2. I'm just but being honest about that. I was going to say, there's none of these PlayStation 3 or 4 games, if you notice. None of these say PlayStation 3. They say PlayStation, Microsoft, Windows, or even back less. Well, here, let's try the oh, list of Ubisoft games to the present. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Tom Kennedy's Division 2, Hyperscape... Watch Dogs Legion, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, okay. All right. I might be a little more so happy. So they're behind Assassin's Creed. I've heard that Assassin's Creed Valhalla is very good, and it's cross-platform amongst a few other things. Yeah, so and I've, I've heard, heard it's pretty good. i good things about that. Oh, Far Cry. Prince of Persia is another one that they, they were behind. So I, but Prince of Persia, I've heard, is pretty good, too. I've never played it, but I've, I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah. Just Dances, that's that's their thing. Yeah. So I, I'm behind that. I'm... I'm going to be hesitant. I'm not going to say that they're going to do a bad job, but I'm going to be hesitant because I've heard of, like, a few simple games that you'd think they wouldn't mess up, and they somehow messed it up, and it makes it worse. I don't. I just don't see how they could here. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I've played Call of War as I have that for the PS3. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Uh, it was a totally awful. That, uh, was a, that was a dumpster fire. I would wonder if it's them or if it's the other company it was, we worked with. It was like a really bad attempt to make <laughs> a Red Dead Redemption type of game, and it just didn't come out right. Yeah. I'm just looking at some of the stuff they got here. Dungeon Hunter. You know, there's nothing's jumping out at me. I mean, other than the Just Dance, which was, you know, Prince of Persia. These these are all games that are will make the Gaming Hall of Fame. Far Cry's will. Avengers was Battle it? for Earth was a pretty... Oh, I didn't know they of, made that one. Yeah. All right. So there are a couple games on here that kind of, like, jump out at me. I get what you're saying. You're worried about their track record. But here's what I'll tell you. The reason they went to EA is because of EA's track record. And I got to be honest with you. Oh, they did South Park Stick of Truth. Oh, my goodness. So there See, you go. That's Ubisoft's that, got, got some pretty big stuff. Other... I am I am hopeful only because EA has had a decade-long run on Star Wars games. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest with you. It's been a little more than a decade, I'm pretty sure. But their decade-long run sucks. I mean, I'm just being honest. It, it sucks. I don't like what they've done. I don't like how they functionally worked with the Star Wars games. And I'm just hoping with an open platform game, yeah, let's go to town. Let, let's have some fun with it. Yeah. I'm, so. I'm curious of what they're going with it. I, I I would like to see, and this is me being me, take the aspect of the bounty hunting out of the Mandalorian show, put it into a game. Well, I think you'll see that eventually. Do really that do. with so you could go, okay, I'm going to go help the, the New Republic, or I'm going to go do a bounty on my own and go kill somebody. I, I think that'll happen eventually. Yeah, eventually. eventually. I'm not saying it will be. Okay, so our next topic we wanted to talk about is the Force.net rumor that Lars Mikkelsen has been tapped to play the live-action Thrawn for Disney Plus's Ahsoka Tano. So this is what's being reported. A website called www.smallscreen.co.uk is recording reporting that they have received confirmation of Lars Mikkelsen being selected to play the role of Thrawn in the upcoming live-action Star Wars Ahsoka television series and possibly in other Star Wars spinoff series. So think about that for a minute. They're implying he's going to be in more than one series. What other series could he possibly be in? Could he get a spinoff show of his own? I'm thinking The Mandalorian. Oh, well, yeah. he has been mentioned in The Mandalorian already. Yes. 
So this isn't exactly a surprise with Mickelson already voicing the same character in 17 episodes of Star Wars Rebels. Oh, so, so that he, was he was the voice. Okay. Okay. But from the report, it sounds like Dave Filoni and John Favreau knew exactly who they wanted for the role and got him. This information has not yet been confirmed by Lucasfilm Limited or Disney. Um, and I think that's just because I don't think they want to let the cat out of the bag just yet. I would love to see the guy become Thrawn because let's face it, I I think not that voice that he uses in Rebels is very unique. It's 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 what it should sound like for Thrawn. He's calculating. He's cold. well. I he's... think it's what you picture the voice to sound like. I always pictured Thrawn to be a little more, mm, I don't know, higher pitched in, in voice. But that's okay. I don't mind him being low pitched. But he's but as the way My you own... and Gary described him is he's cold. He's calculating. Yes. He's a tactitional mind. Absolutely. He focuses on beating you, not only just to beat you, but to beat you in the way that he knows. Well, no. What he does is he studies his target. So he doesn't just attack the target. He studies them. He gets to know every little thing about them, including their culture, their art, their music. Which we did see in Rebels, him using it. Correct. So I kind of felt like he failed at all. I'm just hoping that they do what they're talking about doing with him, which which I'm okay with. They do it correctly like they did in Rebels, where he is cold and calculating, where it is going to be that style of Thrawn that we're going to see. To me, that's going to be very important that we see that style of Thrawn. If we see another Thrawn that's not cold and calculating, I think it'll throw throw everything off. I really do. I think it's something that just doesn't work, and I would rather see the cold calculating Thrawn that we've had all along. And I, I think that's the Thrawn everybody knows and expects. So that's one concern I have. Another concern I have is can they make Lars Mikkelsen look like Thrawn? I mean, it, you can't just say, throw blue s- makeup on somebody and be like, well, there you go. He's Thrawn. I, I, there's going to be more to it. Is he rather old? Is he a rather old um, gentleman? I don't remember how old Lars Mikkelsen is. Say, but like if you could show I just don't know if he looks like him. So um, Lars Mikkelsen, I, I am just concerned with him looking the the part. I, I just really am. I I that's a concern I have. And and moving forward, I I think Disney, they could use him. But then I'm, I'm going to, you know, then comes back the question that everybody's going to have that I, I'm kind of curious myself. Of course, we chose who to play Ahsoka. Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. So the question is, if Lars Middleson's playing Thrawn, then why couldn't they use Ashley Eckstein, Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano? I, I think that's going to be a question that's going to pop up that maybe Disney's not expecting just yet from their fan base. Because if you're willing to let one happen, and why weren't you letting willing to let the other happen? Why did Rosario Dawson suddenly have to come in and play Ahsoka Tano as opposed to Ashley Eckstein, who has been voicing? And basically, I'm sorry, I'm still having a hard time with Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano. She is. She will always will be to me. I'm going to have a hard time with with. Rosario Dawson. I did during the Mandalorian for one episode. I can't imagine what a whole season is going to be like. I was going to say it's. Uh, I didn't. I was going to save this till we got to that episode. I didn't mind her playing it. It wasn't bad, but I. But she voice, doesn't sound like her. The voice sounds different. I right. would have been more happy if they were to bring her in to do the voice. If it was I, just the voice, because they didn't like her in the in the outfit, and they hey, don't think she looks good. Have you ever orange. tried to do voiceover of live action shows? It's it, it's a bit difficult. I know it's not difficult. It's awkward. It's weird. It would be you'd have to make sure you get everything down timing wise right and everything. Or and I can't it, imagine what the post production on something like that would be. I was gonna say, or else it's going to look like a Japanese film where mm-hmm. it's horribly translated. I want to do something with you. It's going to look like yeah. that. 
for those YouTubers, they'll totally get that. For all uh, audio it's, listeners, it it's going to be like, what? <laughs> but it, yeah, you're right. It's going to have that Japanese like look, and I don't want that to my Star Wars stuff. And that's why I said I really – I'm still skeptical. I was skeptical for the episode. I'm still skeptical of Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano, and I'm sorry. This has nothing to do with race. This has nothing to do with anything else other than I wanted Ahsoka Tano to sound like Ahsoka Tano. She has a sound. Ashley Eckstein is the sound. Why say. couldn't we use her? I don't get it. I don't understand why it's okay for some characters, but not for others. Why Lars Mikkelsen gets to keep Thrawn, but Ashley Eckstein has to give up Ahsoka. I don't understand it. Part of me also says, I like Ashley. I've had a great relationship with her on a personal level, and I kind of feel like it was a craptastic move to cut her out. Uh, in, in order to give it to Rosario Dawson. And I don't know Rosario Dawson. I know she's got a great relationship with Kevin Smith, and he, he was all over it and thought it was great that she got the role. Uh, I'm not knocking her. I don't know her all that well. All I know is it didn't sound like Ahsoka Tano, and that threw me off in that particular episode. So we can talk about that when we get to that episode. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next topic. And this is, like, so depressing. I can't even, like... 2020 was a tough year. Let's all admit that 2020 was an absolutely difficult year. And I think it was probably tougher on Star Wars fans than any other group of fans out there at this point. Just so much happened to us as Star Wars fans. I didn't think I could handle any more loss. I mean, seriously, there were just some massive losses. And I want to talk about some of these a minute because they really are. Some of these like are punches to the gut. So this is the deaths in 2020 of Star Wars characters, fans, etc. So Patrick Jordan, who portrayed Seward Cass in Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, passed away at age 96 early during 2020. Alan Harris, who portrayed many different roles in the Star Wars original trilogy and served as a stand-in Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, passed away at age 81 on January 31st of 2020. Max von Sydow, who portrays Lor Santeca in Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, passed away at age 90 on March 8th of 2020. For those that don't know, that was the old guy at the beginning of The Force Awakens that gave the little chip to BB-8 and Poe. Andrew Jack, who portrayed Kaluan Imat in Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, and voiced Moloch in a, a solo a Star Wars story, passed away from COVID-19 at age 76 on March 31st, 2020. Juan Jimenez, who did the covers for Dr. Aphra 3 and Darth Vader 25, passed away from COVID-19 at age 76 on April 2nd, 2020. Jade Benedict, who played Deke in a deleted scene of Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, passed away from COVID-19 at age 68 on April 4th of 2020. Malcolm Dixon, who portrayed Leaktar in Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi, passed away at age 66 on April 9th of 2020. Joe Sinat, who inked several issues of Star Wars Droids, passed away at age 93 on June 25th, 2020. That one really kind of struck me. Joe Sinat, we've met several times at Albany Comic-Con. Austin, you might remember that. He also inked several Captain America comic books, Fantastic Four. Matter of fact, I have several comic books signed by Joe Sinat. He was a very nice elderly guy. Um, Down to earth, if you will. Very nice guy. And will be sorely missed. 
<sighs> okay, some of these are hard for me. So, Grant Imahara, an industrial light and magic modeler and animatronics technician who controlled R2-D2's movements in the Star Wars prequel trilogy, passed away from a brain aneurysm at age 49 on July 13th of 2020. Um, <laughs> Grant was a muse for me. He really was. He was somebody I met. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. I, I, say, I It was a Dragon Con because you met all three of them. Uh, well, I, I had met Grant a couple times before that. Oh. But Dragon Con of 2007 just kind of solidified my friendship with Grant. I met Grant there. I'd hung out with the Mythbusters crew there. Tori and... Tori, Bleachy, Grant, Imahara, and... Uh, oh. Who's the other one that was on that team? Carrie, right? Oh, Carrie. Carrie, yeah. And the three of them were just great. I mean, just kind of like just fun. They were fun people. Grant, I, there were times I I don't never saw Grant where he wasn't either having some fun or being really serious about talking about something. And it was funny because when you got him on a subject, man, he couldn't stop talking about it. I I, I always admired that about him and the amount of knowledge he had. I just I. I the things he knew about animatronics and modeling were just unbelievable. So Grant, yeah, Grant was a great guy. I got to know him in 2007 at Dragon Con, and I met him all sorts of places all over the place. I think my favorite moment with Grant and Mahara, <laughs> this one happened in New Jersey at Atlantic City Comic Con. We were We were in the main hall talking about podcasting. Matter of fact, this podcast, ironically. But I was also doing how do you start a podcast? Like, how, how do you get going? Because it's a tough thing to get yeah, going. Yeah, I think you're doing a panel on it. I was doing a you? panel on it with Gary, myself, and I think Tara was with us that, that year. Atlantic City? There was yeah. only a two of them I went, we went to, and it was only me. Well, maybe she, it was you then. Did you I, go in there with that? I was at the booth. We were. I was. At That's the right. You had to booth. watch the booth while we did this. That's Man, right. I was a little mad, but I had. Yeah, to I know. But somebody had to be at the booth. I'm sorry. I dude. know. I know. So we were. We had just finished up. I had just done some trivia with everybody on Star Wars and I think Resident Evil and a couple other things. And Grant was laughing because he knew every answer to everything. It was kind of funny, and he, he's just the kind of person he was. So as I'm setting, as I'm taking my stuff down, because I had recorded our whole session, uh, Grant's looking at my setup, and he was kind of asking some questions about like, "Wow, how, how, where'd you find something that simplified for this, and why'd you use that?" And just kind of asked me some questions. So he and I got to talking a little bit about you know podcasting and recording. And while we're talking, you know, people are coming up, they're asking us questions, talking to us just in general. And finally, um, somebody pointed out to Grant they were 10 minutes <laughs> into their panel. And Grant goes, oh, yeah, I guess we should be running a panel. And he got up there, and anybody could have been like, hey, hi, I'm Grant Amahara. We're going to run a panel. And you know, he's like, hey, let's give it up for the Galaxy Cast. Wasn't that so cool? I was so into it. Even I had to ask questions. So like, it just shows you the kind of guy he was, right? Like, He wasn't just going to get up there and be Grant and just, no. He had to, like, not only that, but be like, hey, check out the guys that were before me. I'm, I'm still... Yeah, he's Go just that kind of guy. Over at the Resident Evil booth. He did actually. He <laughs> he plugged our Resident Evil booth. He plugged our podcast for us. I just thought that was so cool. Wilford Brimley, who portrayed Noah Brickwallon in Ewoks: The Battle of Endor, passed away from kidney ailment at age eighty-five on August first of twenty twenty. Now, what's ironic about this one is Wilford Brimley is kind of a you know people know him as the Quaker Oats guy. So if you saw the old Quaker Oats commercials, he's the guy that's in it. Uh, I wasn't going to go get Wilfred Brimley's autograph. It's kind of ironic that I have it. 
And Gary dragged me, kicking and screaming, to New Jersey, to a con, where I really didn't think I wanted Wilford Brimley's autograph. And I got there, and I met the guy. And he was so cool, I bought the autograph. Because I was like, this guy's just cool. How could I not buy his autograph? He's just that cool. He was just a really nice guy. I was going to say, he, he. we watched this movie. We did. I think there was two of them, weren't they? Yes. I'm sorry that we watched either one of them, but yes, we watched All them. I know is they were we on... watched them, if you remember, to drive Ian completely back, back crazy because he had never seen the I thought the we Ewok did it movies. out of a Star Wars marathon and you we insisted did. on it. I did. Oh, my goodness. I did. And Ian was there. And Ian was just, like, dying the whole time. <laughs> we watched it. Wasn't the boy's name Mace? And one, like, yes. Actually, why? for the first time ever in Star Wars franchise history, the the name Mace Window was used on one of the Ewoks movies. Wasn't he? One of the boys. <laughs> And I'm not being. And it had nothing it. to do with Mace Windu, the Jedi Knight. I was so. gonna say, wasn't he also like extremely white? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like. Okay. Like so rice I, white. Yes. I. Yeah. I remember bits and pieces of it, but I think my brain and efforts of forgetting it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. Done that. Uh, Ron Cobb, who created various creature designs for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, passed away from Lewy body dementia at age 83 on September 21st, 2020. Kirby Morrow, who voiced Anakin Skywalker in Grievous and Lego Star Wars The Yoda Chronicles and Lego Star Wars Droid Tales, passed away on November 18th of 2020. David Prowse, who played Darth Vader in a Star Wars original trilogy, passed away from COVID-19 at age 85 on November 28th of 2020. Now, I don't care what you may feel about the spat between David Prowse and George Lucas. Uh, I'm sorry. There are two people who are Darth Vader. And that is David Prowse. And that is the voice, which is James Earl, James Jones. Earl Jones. And everybody can argue with me from now to the end of time. I don't care. I really don't. Vader would not have been the amazing presence he was on screen. Had it not been for David Prowse being the man behind the helmet and in the costume. And I know there's a lot of arguments about stunt Vader's and this and that and whatever. It's To me, it's in the past. It should be in the past. And I... Uh, he was such a cool guy. I met him several times, but I'll tell you the one that sticks with me. I was seven, maybe eight years old. I was going to say, you have this photo. I can see it. Um, yeah, it's behind me. Can't, you guys can't see it. It'll be one of those things I'll have to do on a studio walk one of these days. And David Prowse was going to a local hospital to visit a whole bunch of children there who were terminally ill. You know, they were there for whatever reasons. And I desperately wanted to meet this guy. And at seven or eight years old, I walk into the room and here's this guy that's almost seven feet tall. And I, he was huge. I mean, like, he's not just tall. He's built. I will never forget. Wasn't he, like, a wrestler or something? He was a wrestler, yeah. Okay. And uh, actually, he was a bodybuilder, too, which I didn't know at the time. I just remember my friend Kevin and I walked in. Kevin Freer. Kevin, if you're listening, you'll remember this. (laughs) Kevin went right over and started talking to David Prowse. I was scared to death. I, I like grabbed onto my mom's leg. I would not let go. My mom was and and she was mad at me because she brought me here to go visit Darth Vader and I would not go to this guy. 
And that's because to me, being a short guy that I was, he looked like a freaking tower. You know, he's just this guy is huge and, he, and he's ominous. And in the back of my head, I'm saying, oh, my gosh, this is Darth Vader. You know, like, this is the bad guy of all bad guys. He's going to force choke He's going to kill me, you know. like. <laughs> and that was just after, you know, I think, yeah, Empire Strikes Back had just been released. So I already had had, like, nightmares about Darth Vader and all sorts of crazy stuff. So he came over to me and he kneeled down next to my mom. And he gave me a hug. And it was kind of like, you can't, (laughs) you cannot get angry at somebody giving you a hug. You cannot be scared of somebody giving you a hug, especially if they're reaching out to you themselves and just giving you a hug. That's, And I will always remember that. I hugged Darth Vader and it was kind of like all of a sudden all that fear just went away. And it also made me realize that these are people. It was one of the first times I was like, okay, these are people and they're human and they just want interaction like with, with individuals. They just want to know you and get to know you. And I had a great conversation. Do I remember what we talked about? Nope. I was like seven or eight years old. I don't even remember. I remember the hug. I remember the warmth of the hug. There was something about that hug that he gave me. And I genuinely felt like he wanted to take a kid who was scared to death of Darth Vader and make him feel welcome and also like show him that he's not a bad guy. And I was just like that. I will never forget the feeling behind that hug. It's kind of why I like wanting to coming down and hug kids when we're doing costumes. Cause I know I'm very intimidating. In uh, absolutely. It's kind of why we do that. Yeah. All right. Moving on. <sighs> it's like these get harder as we go. Well, we're down to the last one. We are. Well, Jeremy Bullock. Who played Boba Fett in Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, and Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, passed away at age 75 on December 17th, 2020. Has there ever been a confirmed of what he died of? Uh, not that I can see. Gary and I still have. We're not sure if it's COVID or not. We're, we're I've, I have not seen confirmation on what he died of. The one thing I like that Disney did after this, after this happened, because. I think the episode right before was the episode where they ended the series with yes. the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and they dedicated the... Yes. They dedicated it, and if you watch the newest one, they actually have at the end where it says dedicated to Jeremy Bullock, the yep. ultimate Fett or something like that. I'm like, that's what I like to see. That's honoring it. <laughs> I mean, for those that don't know, Jeremy Bullock was the guy behind the suit. Uh, unless it was a stunt scene, then it was Dickie Beers. I was going to say. But Jeremy... <laughs> Anybody who's met Jeremy will tell you one of the coolest actors to meet in Star Wars. I mean, I, I there's a ton of them. I, I rank them right up there. <laughs> there's so many actors that were great. I, rem- the, 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 I vaguely remember when we were at uh, Celebration 7, I want to say it is. He came over and we were in kit. And I think we were at the Dented Helmet booth. And we were in kit and he came over and said, nice costume. And walks away. I'm like, that's cool. Who's that guy? <laughs> that looks- he, uh, he. Well, first off, he he always remembered me by my well by two things by my Mando. He knew what my Mando looked like. Matter of fact, when I changed my Mando, he he was one of the first celebrities to be like, oh, it changed. Like he actually noticed. It was most other celebrities never and, even noticed. Wasn't it him then Logan, like Daniel Logan? Uh, yeah, him and Daniel Logan were the first two to notice that it had changed. Uh, Tem noticed it changed, but didn't 
know what quite changed. Like he looked at me and said it changed, but what happened? Like, yeah. So he knew, but but Jeremy instantaneously knew like that I had flames and I didn't look like that anymore. And he was like, wow. And so he's like, let me look at you. You know, like so when it was so when it happened. But he was always enthralled at the fact that we costumed together as a family. Yep. He could not get over the idea that, hey. Did he see Tara's kid? Yes. He several did. times. I was yes. going to say, I couldn't remember if he remembered he, seeing that kid. He was just enthralled at the idea that we always were together, costuming together as a family. He always saw me with you two, sometimes three, when Ruth was with us. And he just, he thought that was the coolest thing ever. He said, you know, how many guys go to Comic-Cons to get away from the family and hear you bring your family to Comic-Cons? He's like, this needs to happen more often. This is how fandom continues, where, you know, the fathers are are costuming with their kids, showing them the way, you know. That's why I kind of laugh at the this is the way thing, because I always kind of, Jeremy was always saying this is the way to my family, right? Like, that's Aww. that's what we were. We were the way. We We were the family that Jeremy just talked about all the time. And, you know, it's funny, the last time we saw him, it was in, at, in Rochester at RockCon, and I walked up, I talked to him a little bit, I, I, I have so many autographs of him, uh, but this one was the one that I, I, it was the last autograph I got from Jeremy, I have so many of them, it's like Just I can say, tell you where I got them all. I can see two but already. It was, it was the one with David Prowse, I had already signed Darth Vader, I had managed to find Lando Calrissian oh, at Steel City yeah. Comic Con. I see it now. And... I brought it to Jeremy and I said to Jeremy, I'm like, okay, it's it's the picture with Vader, Lando, and and Boba Fett talking about Han Solo while they're torturing him. Pray I'm like, Jeremy, I, I got to get further. you to sign this. You're the only one who hasn't signed it. He looked at it, saw the other two signatures, like, wow, I'm like the trifecta. I get to finish it. I go, yeah. He goes, awesome. And so he's he's... <laughs> He's signing it. I'm pulling my money out. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't need to. And I'm like, no, I am. Like, I, I always insisted I wanted to pay for autographs, even though some of these guys were like family to me. They're, that's a business. You know what I mean? I wanted them to, to, to get. They earned this. That's, you know. Yep. And so I, I paid him for the autograph. And he looked at my bucket one last time. And he says, I got to tell you, even now, one of the coolest buckets and kits I've ever seen. I'm still blown away by what you did with this and like looked at my bucket again and was looking at the fans and all the cool stuff on the inside and just was enthralled. I, and yeah, I, I, I will never forget that. I remember the conversation he had. I don't remember if it was because I, he was seeing my bazooka or we explained that I had bazooka and he explained about how heavy the E 11 was. Oh yeah. He and talked that the about reason it. why he's practically cradling it is that's the only comfortable way he could carry it. Yes. That wasn't pinching his thumb. He talked about the fact that they used an actual uh, Sterling rifle as the the actual... When they kit-bashed, they kit-bashed with the metal Sterling rifle. So he's having to carry it. Right. And he said it was just that dang heavy that it just... He says, and he carried it low, thinking, well, it's that heavy. I really, you know... I I don't need to be looking ominous with it. I can walk into the room But he said, then he realized when he looked in the mirror that walking that way actually made him kind of look batty. So he he just kept doing it that way. He said it just kind of looked cool. Uh, So... So a tough year, 2020, we lost a lot of good people. There were some surprises. Grant was definitely a a huge surprise. Max von Sydow was kind of a surprise a little bit too, but I, I, David Prowse and Jeremy aren't a complete surprise. When I saw Jeremy the last time, Gary and I even kind of, 
with a little bit of a tear in our eyes, both looked at each other and said, I don't know when we're going to see him again. And it was not too long after. Maybe it had been two weeks, maybe three. He went back to England and they released a statement on his website that he wouldn't be traveling internationally anymore and signing anymore uh, and going to Comic-Cons. And so we were at one of the last cons that he was at. Yeah. So I was going to say, when we went to uh, Celebration 6, you said the same thing for Ian McDermott. Yeah, you're concerned he, about uh, that. He was not looking good, and he almost he didn't. He almost but did he's come. lasted. He's lasted. I mean, he was in another movie after that. I mean, what does that say? Just, yeah, I know. You, I'm just, just saying it's how crazy things are. You had said you were concerned that he wouldn't make it. And I was. There was I like was. almost. Wasn't he almost canceled because he couldn't come? Yes. There was yeah. Something. Well, there was. There were concerns about his health. <laughs> yeah. So, although one Come side on. note that's not a death, but a very sad thing that happened yes. during 2020. So for those who don't know, uh, Tom Kane has been a huge part of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. He voiced Yoda. He voiced several other characters in the show. And over the holiday break, he had a stroke. And things are not going well for Tom. And the big thing for Tom is he was a voiceover actor. That that was his job. That was his work. He did Yoda and The Forced Unleashed. Yep. And when he had the stroke, it took the side of his brain that handles speech. So his voice acting days are over. And I'm very sad about that. He was a great Yoda. I've talked about it on this podcast several times. I used to love to Yoda speak with him. Uh, <laughs> the first we, event we, we met him. Yeah, the first event we met him, which was Allentown Comic Con. Uh, we talked for almost a complete hour in Yoda yes. speak. It Kept talking my... across, back and forth, across the table at each other, and my son was like driven nuts because he's like, I, I can't do that. Up. I couldn't can, keep yeah. up. Like, I couldn't keep up with what you guys were saying. <laughs> it wasn't even that I couldn't mimic. <laughs> it was more of like we're, what's, we were, going, what's going because we were talking, talking backwards, about? like Yoda, and you were having a hard time as I a have kid to translate track. it. Like, what did they just say? It's like you're you hate doing transpositions. Uh, transpositions. Oh, on, I hate doing sight transposition on trumpet. Yeah. yeah. So. That was me. I have to try to translate Yoda yeah. forward. Then, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, was it was frustrating. I've had a lot of great times with him. I, I feel I feel for him and his family. You are all, uh, all of you, your daughter and his wife. Everyone is in my thoughts and prayers. I, I just hope he has a recovery. Uh, at this point, I, I I want him to have a semi normal life. Um, I know he'll never get back to voice acting. I'm I'm saddened by that. I am I mean, he blown was, away by that. Um, if you look at his voice acting career, there's a lot. He yeah, was, he was. He not did only, so much. Just look him up, Tom yeah. Kane. Go look it up on IMDb. I'm sure you all can figure it out. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. That was another kind of blow to the Star Wars family, as it were. Okay, let's move on because that's depressing. And Dad's in tears. <laughs> So, our last topic for tonight, and we're, we've talked quite a bit. This is kind of an obvious topic, but I was kind of like, we need to talk about something because I didn't want to end negatively. Disney has decided to delay seven Fox movie release dates. That's right, seven. Uh, it's pretty much all of them, actually. So, there's quite a few movies now that are going to get put off here. The New Mutants is going to get put off a video game comedy called free guy with ryan reynolds is going to get put off now for a while nomad land supposedly is another one that had oscar hopefuls was going to get is going to get put off uh interestingly enough the bob's burgers movie has been removed from the schedule there may not be 
a Bob's Burgers movie. Uh. And The Kingsman has been pushed back from March to August now. I can't say any of these are a surprise. The uh, Kingsman, is it supposed is It's, I, I think, a sequel to The Kingsman and Kingsman 2. So Okay, it, so this isn't... Right. Okay. Uh, Eyes of Tammy Faye is going to be on September 24th. Supernatural Horror Antlers on October 29th. Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. These are all horror films. And that's getting pushed back to December 3rd. Along with that, Sony's had said some delays, too. They're they're moving back Daniel Craig's final James Bond movie, No Time to Die, to October 8th. And there's more. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Movie Universe. Black Widow has not gotten pushed back yet. I keep saying that term with this movie because yet is the key term here. I don't understand why they haven't released it yet. I know they're trying to make money on it, but it's better than it's better to release it now and make something. Well, I gotta be honest than... with you. Disney knows they are not gonna make the money back on Disney Plus. No, they're not. Even if look, they look at what's happened on HBO Max. They released recently uh, what was the oh Wonder, uh, Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman nineteen eighty four. Now, here's the thing about Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I don't think they would have made their money back on that one. I'm being honest. I don't think they would have. It's it's a good movie. In the grander scheme of superhero movies, not a great one. Sorry. Mm. They didn't do a great job on it. And we can talk about it. We have plans to talk about 1984 later. We'll bring it up. Maybe it'll be in the next podcast because it seems like we're running out of things to talk about. But... Uh, it was not. There were so many plot holes and problems and issues with 1984 that I saw that I was kind of like, mm, yeah, yeah. and I know they know they came out and were like, oh, we're gonna do Wonder Woman three, and I'm kind of like, really? Because I'm kind of curious as to whether you made the money back no. on Wonder Woman two. Uh, I'm not sure they did. Uh, yeah. I'd be kind of curious. I'll, I'll reserve my opinions till we talk about it. Yes, because so, I have a few. Yes, and I do too, and that's why I'm trying to hold back a little bit myself. But uh, can I say that I'm surprised any of these movies are being pushed back? No. Do I think the Hollywood industry is in dire straits? Uh, yes. It has definitely become do. Uh, a tailspin of things. I believe that people will not experience movies like they have in the past ever again. I think movie theaters are going to have to completely upend their experience. I don't think it's enough anymore to have an audience go to a screen, sit there and eat overpriced popcorn drink overpriced soda, and watch a movie. I think those days are gone. And I'm just being honest about it. I think going to the movies now is going to be kind of like going out to a concert. Or I would actually liken it maybe to more like a live show. So I think what you're going to start seeing is movie theaters transforming their theaters into a dining experience, maybe. Uh-huh. So where you would go and have a movie and a dinner? Instead of making it like two separate entities bring yes. them together? Yes. Uh, it could be interesting. It also could be slightly annoying. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I think... If you have a kid, if you have a family and the kid that wants to cry the entire time and not well, do anything I, but Well, if cry. you think about it now, that's the movie theater experience now really doesn't... It doesn't necessarily escape doesn't that. doesn't cater to that. Can, but you can have the key. Because people can be at home watching their movies now. And I'm just being honest about that. Most people are watching their movies where? I'm just being honest, at home. Why? TVs have improved. The quality of TVs has improved. Sound system. The quality of sound systems have improved. Sound systems have improved themselves. Prices have come down on all those things. So, yes, 
people are at home and with the internet the way it is they can stream it they you know it's it's everything's it's, cheaper it's, it's right? everything's right down at the fingertips right everything's at everybody's fingertips and the closer it comes to that the more people just want to stay home and do that so what i'm saying is what movie theaters are going to have to do is they're going to have to entice people to come to the theater it's not enough popcorn and soda is not enough anymore and i hate to say that it's just the truth so how do you entice people? You make it an experience. You give them an experience. There is actually a movie theater out in California right now that's doing this. They are giving people, a, it's a, what they call a full theater experience. You literally can go have a five-course meal and watch an amazing movie. And there's alcohol, so you can have some wine, you can have some beer, right? But you sit there and you eat while you watch the movie. First off, I'm telling you, actually would solve the noise problem. Oh, because people would be chewing and eating, and they wouldn't. Yeah, there you go. People are All masticating, right. therefore they cannot talk during the movie and annoy everybody else. Right? Good hey, thing. Hey, hey, hey! You, you and I do that all the time. Like the Mr. I Fantasy know, I know. 000. I can't help it. I, I do it. Gary and I next to each other is the worst thing ever. Don't ever yeah. go to a movie theater with Gary and I next to each other. I'm just being honest about that because it's the worst thing you could ever do. Mom complains about it. <laughs> but uh, I think that's the experience you're going to start seeing. Now, what do you think people are going to do? I'm being honest here. I think people will get dressed up. Get in a shirt and tie. Get make, in a dress. Make it go more, to the movie theater. Make it more like an orchestral uh, yeah. concert. Yes, exactly. You'll get an orchestral concert experience, tuxes and ties, right? But you get a five course nice meal. Maybe you're getting lobster tail and steak. Maybe you know first surf and turf. Maybe you're getting a really nice meal out of the deal. But if you're Kay? doing that, I imagine the prices are also everything. The prices gonna are going to actually go up. Sure, absolutely. But if I'm getting good food out of it. And I'm getting served by a waiter or waitress, and it's a good experience eating-wise, that may actually help Hollywood in the long run. That I, I still think I think that's the wave of the future for you don't, theaters. You don't think home theaters are going to be where they're going to make their money? I don't think there's money to be made in a home theater. That's part of the problem. Mm. Because you're... Well, okay. Let me back that up. They're not going to make the money they've been, they've been making... On home theater. No, and that would mean that multi-million dollar budgets or multi-billion dollar budgets. I, I'm not even saying cut your budgets size. back. I think you could keep your budgets. I'll tell you what's going to have to change. The contracts with the actors and actresses. They're not going to be able to pay Tom Cruise, what is it, $85 million a movie or whatever it is he's making at this point. That's insane. Why it, does what he, make he that makes much? per movie is incredibly insane. Because people flock to see Tom Cruise in a movie. Okay? Why? Because, well, he generally brings, brings an audience in, in a movie. Okay? So, honestly, Tom Cruise generally helps them make more money. But, in the long run, I don't think that's enough anymore. That used to be enough. Having the star mm. power used to be enough. I don't think it's enough anymore. I think you agree on that one, right? No, I've found that... I kind of feel like if, and this is where I'm getting with Tom Holland at the moment, everything we're going to slap Tom Holland on. Right. We have... So we the same person's doing the same movies. We were scrolling through Scream and we saw a prequel to Willy Wonka with Tom Holland in it. We yep. saw a few other things that are being like Tom Holland in it, and then he's being Spider-Man. I'm like, I like him as Spider-Man, but if you keep throwing him in there... There's oversaturation. I'm not going to want to go see Spider-Man. I'm exactly. not going to want to go see Tom Holland because I see him in everything else. Yep. Yep. So, you know, that's how I think Hollywood has to change. I, th I think they have to change what they're looking at. It'll be interesting to see what movies look like going from 2021 forward. What, what's going to be really interesting is the award season this season. 
How do they give awards out for 2020? You can't. I think There's, you might. I think it's in all fairness, you have to skip the year. I think you do too. I think I there think, has to be no Emmys and no Tonys this year. I, th- I uh, Tonys are for Broadway, by the way. I don't think you can do that either. No. I think you have to skip all those award shows this year. I, I really do. I think you're going to have one year where there's going to be absolutely no awards for film or any entertainment right. stuff because Which there's nothing. 2021 is going to be cutthroat. It might even be 2022 by the time they get back to it. But whenever they get back to award shows, it is going to be cutthroat. I also feel trying like, to see who wins an award. I feel like award. the Academy needs to stop being. Oh, we can talk about the Arts oh. Academy some other time. They need to stop being so pomp and circumstance. <laughs> we, yeah, Pick we can, films that are popular and try to give. We, we can to talk those. about that later. I got yeah. my opinions on the Academy. Okay, so that's what we had to say this episode about those topics. Again, those topics were. Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm doing Lucasfilm games. We talked about the rumors of Mar- Lars Mikkelsen playing Thrawn. We talked about the loss we've had of Star Wars actors and actresses. And, of course, the re- uh, release dates of movies being pushed back yet again. Thanks to COVID. Thanks to COVID for destroying everything in our lives. So with all that said, we're going to be back in just a little bit just after the break. Uh, enjoy a couple commercials and a, uh, a segment that I have been enjoying putting together for you and that's called the rest of the galaxy cast story i've been having a blast putting those together i've been having a lot of fun my son likes to have me read them to him before i do them for the show and that's because he doesn't want to laugh while i'm doing them during the show i'm hoping you're having fun with the commercials i'm putting together i think you guys are enjoying it all at least i hope you are and we'll be back in just a little bit uh to talk about season two of the mandalorian episode four so we'll be back in just a bit 17 meters, 15 meters, 13 meters. That's right outside the door. There they go over there. Get them. that you put together. Action figures sold separately. You can move the action lever and make the Jawa capture R2-D2. R2? Are you all right? What are they doing to you? You can raise the elevator and make R2-D2 disappear into the sand crawler. Hang on, R2. I'm right behind you. Me too. (laughs) Kenner's new Star Wars Land of the Jawas. Action figures each sold separately. I can't fathom the idea of having multiple names applied to me. What would make that idea even more difficult is the fact that my names would be dependent on where I was in the land that I lived in. Yet he had struggled with this concept his entire life. He has been called Trotter, Estelle, and even Throngil, which we will use for the sake of this story. Throngil's life was tragic from almost the point when he was born. He was born into a royal family and his father was killed when he was only two years old. The fact that his father was killed by orcs may be a shock to us, but for Throngil, it was pretty common in his land. Since his mother abandoned him, Throngil was taken to Rivendell and was raised by elves. It was here that his lineage would eventually be revealed to him, and his adoptive father would also present to him the parts of his grandfather's sword. His adoptive father would rename him Estel in an effort to hide his lineage from others. He fell in love with an elf, but felt a calling to serve the humans, so he left Rivendell to become the 16th chieftain of the Dúnedain, a group that were rangers of the north. 
It was here that he earned one of his most famous names. While living in the wild, he met a famous wizard that asked him to oversee and protect the little people in the land adjacent. During this time, he had many journeys while serving King Thengel of Rohan and the steward of Gondor, Ecthelion II. It was here he would earn the name Thorongil, which means Eagle of the Star. He would eventually lead the assault on Umbar and killed their lord at the Battle of the Havens. It was after this battle that Throngil surprised everyone and left to go east through the mines of Moria to Harad. From there, he visited Lothlorien, where he pledged his love for his adoptive elvish father's daughter, Arwen. Arwen pledged her love back, but could not marry Throngil because Elrond had told her that she was not allowed to marry Throngil while he was still known by his ranger name, Strider. But Arwen also understood that marrying Strider would mean she would become a mortal. It was at this point in the story when Strider's wizard friend became suspicious of a hobbit in the Shire and asked Strider to track and captivate the creature Gollum. Eventually, Strider tracked Gollum to the Dead Marshes and brought him before King Thorandril and Gandalf the Grey. That's when Gandalf told him he would meet Strider at the Inn of the Prancing Pony in Bree, the place where Strider would meet his destiny a destiny that included the shards of Narsil and a palantir. Strider was Aragorn, son of Arathorn, the rightful heir to Gondor. And now you know the rest of the Galaxy Cast story. Do you own a business or a podcast? Are you looking for ways to expand the audience you reach? Then Star Productions could help you. Southern Tier Audio Recording Productions started off as a homegrown audio recording company, offering professional recordings for aspiring musicians. It is now a multifunctional business, offering DJ services, recording, and advertising services to those who own businesses and podcasts. Email us at galaxycast at gmail.com with the subject advertising if you are interested. We look forward to creating a professional commercial for you, that can be used in this podcast or even at your local radio station. Many have exclaimed that our services are out of this world. Have you ever wanted macaroons but can't seem to find the right color? Are normal cookies or crackers just not enough for you? Do you go to school and drool over the food that others are eating right in front of you? Then Smurf Blue Macaroons are the product for you. Smurf Blue Macaroons are the smurfiest product you will ever eat. Made from smurfy egg whites and the smurfiest almonds you will ever know, they are made into a meringue-like consistency and baked to perfection. They are then filled with the smurfy blue of blueberries filling and are then blueberry jam. Wow, they taste like a real Smurf made them. Either that or they taste like a real Smurf. No one knows. <laughs> uh-huh. Smurf blue macaroons are so good you may be willing to give up frog eggs for them. They may be so good that you'd be willing to use the force and force eat them for hours and hours. Smurf blue macaroons, the only snack that may have you looking in your toilet and asking, Did I eat that? Welcome back to the Galaxy Cast. Target, maximum firepower. Hey folks, welcome back to this episode of the Galaxy Cast as we now discuss Season 2, Episode 4 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 12, titled The Siege. 
So, the plot. I'm going to read this. We can comment as we go. This is right off of Wikipedia, and again, all the links are in our show notes. The Mandalorian and the Child, better known as the Asset, head to Navarro after the Mon Calamari repairs to the ship proved inadequate. Can I just say, like, not even inadequate, just stupid. I mean, like, really. Yeah, I kind of like the fact that we have the Mandalorian trying to explain to the Asset, take the red wire out. Put the blue. Yes, the or, beginning no, is like pull the blue wire out. Put the red wire where you found the blue wire. <laughs> I can say this now. It's kind of like dealing with middle school students and a tech crew. <laughs> uh, you know, like put this here, put that there. Eh? Yeah, yeah. No, no, don't do that. No, oh, <laughs> you did it. <laughs> don't touch those wires together. They'll zap you. <laughs> Although I will say, your nickname is Sparky, and that's all I could think of. Was Mr. Sparky I is knew added you were again? Going there, <laughs> but I loved how they did. I I don't know who's doing like the facial features of the asset, and I know it's a like puppet version. And whoever worked on that, my goodness, they've nailed down this kid. That's like a like you know. I, I know he's a kid, but he's not. It's kind of weird, but he's at the same time, he's a fifty-year-old Yoda, right? Race, so it's weird, but it's you know. But he's also a kid because he's fifty years old. And Yoda just, lived at how long? I love how he just kind of looked at him. He went, "You uh-huh. want the red and the blue? <laughs> the red in the blue? Oh, you want me to put the red where the blue was? Well, you want me to put the two together? Like, no, no, <laughs> yeah." It was it was cute. It was funny. It was the humor right at the moment that needed to kind of happen. Yeah. And I just thought it was kind of funny. And it was just, it was awesome. I want to know why, where's that crawl space normally? And why is it there? Well, and, and how is he supposed to? How does anybody else do work on that ship? Because <laughs> unless you've got a child of your own, <laughs> there's no way to get in there to do that. Where, what do you do? Tear the whole ship apart to try uh, to get they, to that they panel? Pull out, they pull out a pin particle device and shrink it. Yeah, out. there you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So going on. So they, they try to make some repairs. They unite reunite with Grief Karga and Cara Dune there, who have since turned the planet around. Cara has become the local marshal, while Grief has taken on the role of magistrate, assisted by the unnamed Mithril. Grief is now kind of like a mayor, like magistrate mayor. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah. I, I just didn't expect him to take on that role. Well, wasn't he discreet, uh, a disgraced magistrate from another planet? I guess. I'm not quite sure what his role is. They mentioned that in the last episode of last season. Like, Did they? Cause, but what really threw me off is that Kara decided to become, like, a, a cop? A, a marshal? Yeah. I mean, like... But she didn't strike me as somebody who would want to do that voluntarily. Maybe not voluntarily, but she has that kind of, like, fight for good, not necessarily... For I guess. law and order. I guess. I just didn't expect her she, she, to take on that role. She doesn't no. seem like the type. Yeah. She's definitely shoot first, ask questions later. And I just found it interesting, too, that, like, so at the beginning of the episode, we see her dealing with some Aqualish thugs, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, in the armory, they're, they're dealing with this little rat-type thing and stealing stuff and just... It was cool. The whole scene was cool. I liked the I, whole action segment. I liked how she like rolled to the floor to grab the guy up to block the laser bolts. Like, right. She knows that she can't take them, but she could use a dead corpse. But at the same time, I was just kind of like, isn't this a little above her? You know what I mean? Like, or below her, I guess is my best. Yeah. I mean, because she's, you know, she's a freaking war veteran. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I get it. Sometimes, sometimes military people come home and end up being police officers and pretty darn good ones too yeah uh, i just i don't know she didn't strike me as the type of character that would settle into something like this and i was kind of surprised 
to see her taking on that role. Although, I, I, again, I liked the whole scene with the Aqualish. I, I, I thought it was just cool. It was definitely um, well choreographed and blocked. Well, I think it helps that she is a WWE wrestler. Oh, yeah. And you, and could, you could see her moves. You, you could totally see her doing that kind of WWE mm-hmm. stuff. There, there was a lot of the moves that she used there were ones that she typically used in the ring. Like and Gary rolling, would back me up, back me up on say, that. say rolling under the floor, lifting the guy up under the Oh, shoulders. yeah. That's one of her moves. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that called? <laughs> I don't remember what it's called, but it's it's something she did quite a bit when she was in the WWE. And her size is a lot to oh, do yeah. with a lot of it. Because oh, you got to yeah. remember, like, she looked normal sized next to the Aqualish, right? But remember how big their heads are. Yeah. So that's how big her shoulders are. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to get in her. Like, I was gonna say, I've met her. I would not want to see her in a dark alley. I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm just she thinking scares back to me the a little fight bit. with her versus uh, Colossus and like, Deadpool. The size of her biceps when we were at Celebration, she's oh, like God. the size of my head. Oh, I, I no. like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you turned her dark alley while you see her. I'm walking away. <laughs> I'd be like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Like, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm good. <laughs> I don't think that's a, I don't think you want to say it that way. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. I'm all yours, master. You tell me what to do. So, <laughs> and not because she's good looking, but just because I would not want to mess with her. Although good looking helps too. <laughs> so, all right. We've already gone to a dark If place. I'm still married after this, it'll be amazing. So <laughs> we keep going. In return for the repairs, the Mandalorian agrees to help destroy an old Imperial base on the other side of the planet. Do you notice that, like, they've got this, this you know, Imperial problem, and they don't bring it up right away. Like, they don't want to scare the Mandalorian off, but then they don't really waste much time, do they? They're like, uh, by the way, you kind of owe us a little. So, uh, <laughs> we got this Imperial base over there. You really want to help us out with that, please? <laughs> Like, what was Mando supposed to do? Be like, nope, I gotta go. Sorry. I'll take See my ya. broken down shit that's... I'm out. <laughs> Aces. You know, like, what was he gonna do? You know, like, seriously. Take he's... my broken down ship and go fly Go the fly next somewhere system. else, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go to Tatooine. <laughs> See what they got there. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The child is placed in a school. Let's just talk about that for a moment. <laughs> We're gonna take a 50-year-old child... <laughs> who has it's weird to say <laughs> right okay who has no compunction to learn anything never has never will right does whatever he wants to do i mean loses his mind when he can't hold the ball on the ship when he's on on the razor's crest and we put him in a school so who thought that was a good idea because there needs to be discussion about that and then the whole next sentence says it all where he uses the force to steal <laughs> Blue macaroon treats from another student. And that's literally how it happened. He literally <laughs> looks at the kid and goes, eh. And the kid's like, no way, man, go away. And he's like, I'm and taking him And he just like waits till the kid looks away and uses the force and steals the blue macaroons. Now, first <laughs> off, where's the teacher in all this? I got some questions about the teacher. The te- how did you not see flying macaroons in the room? <laughs> the teacher's a protocol droid who turned around to look at the screen. And that's what I'm talking about. This is why you can't use droids to do a man's <laughs> job, right? Like, Or a woman's job, for that matter. But a, 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 no, seriously, a, like, a human being's job is to be in a room teaching, not a protocol droid. okay? Because a protocol droid is not going to see the macaroons flying through the air and be able to look at the child and say, no, no. <laughs> bad child do not use the force that's not how we work here the way you phrase this sounds like you're talking to a dog like no well, that is how you kind of have to be well especially with a very young child of course we don't know what 50 means in his ears so well, it, it maybe seems, he's five i don't know it seems like his in his i'm amazed it didn't start a schoolyard fight 
it seems like he's more of like a toddler because he looks at you and goes, I know what you're well, saying. Well, the way he talks, yeah. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying, but I have no idea what you mean. Like, how did that not end up in a schoolyard fight? I'm sorry, at my school, if a kid had stolen another kid's blue macaroons, it'd have been on, like, Donkey Kong, man. First off, what kid has macaroons as a treat? Okay, I, I digress that whole thing. No, I mean, you start questioning this, you start questioning everything in Star Wars, and Lord knows we don't want to do that. We don't want to go down that rabbit right, hole. Right, but I, I, there's a lot of questions I have about the whole schooling situation in this whole episode, because there's a lot of questions I have. Okay, so we go on in the description. It says, the base turns to have, uh, have more than just a skeleton crew, and stormtroopers patrol the corridors. Okay. Obviously, their intel sucks beyond all get out, right? They're like, oh, it's just a skeleton crew. It's a little base. There's nothing there. Didn't they say that about the freaking ship in the Mando, an episode with right? Bo-Katan? Thank you. Oh, it's got a skeleton crew of like 150 uh, to 200 well, men. there weren't that many guys on that ship, but there probably were 50 <laughs> to 60 guys in that ship. And they're like, yeah, it's a skeleton crew. That's not skeleton to me. I'm sorry. Skeleton's like a dozen. Yeah, yeah, there, there definitely is more if than not that a little less. in this place, and there's quite a bit of stormtroopers. Now, granted, they can't hit the broadside of a barn, but, you know, even a stormtrooper <laughs> might hit whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but even a stormtrooper might hit something, you know, twice a day. If a clock can be right twice a day, a stormtrooper can hit something twice a day. <laughs> So, they deactivate the lava cooling system so that the natural lava flow flows will destroy the base. I mean, that sounds like a great idea, right? What is it with Star Wars and lava? Seriously. Like, seriously. You're very salty about this episode. I kind of, well, I, no, I'm not being salty. I'm just being realistic about Star Wars. Why do lava systems be the only way to destroy bad things, right? The only way to get rid of Darth Vader. Lava. Well, the only way to create Darth Vader, I guess, yeah, lava, <laughs> right? Uh, I was going to say. I but lava seems to be a big thing, right? Like, we've got a whole planet of lava, Mustafar. What was the advantage of Mustafar other than lava helps you smelt some metal? I'm not quite sure it's why that's a, a good thing. It allows you to also temper fuel. Okay, sure, I guess, but. It could be used as a wasteland that would burn anything. Well, it apparently touches. you need to live in the Star Wars universe because you love lava too. <laughs> Not no no no. I'm just explaining the background. Just explaining. Oh. Yeah yeah. I'm yeah. just defending Lucas's ideas. So they decide they're going to destroy the base with these lo- natural. I love how they put that l- natural lava flows. Are there unnatural lava flows? Yeah, they're man-made. Um, okay. <laughs> Don't want to know how those are made. (laughs) So during their escape, they find scientists and vats of what appear to be cloned bodies. Okay, I want to be clear. No, they don't appear to be cloned bodies. They are cloned bodies. They just don't want to show you that they're cloned bodies. And of course, if there's vats and scientists and cloned bodies, people, what's going on here? This is a super soldier project. They're trying to well, they're obviously cloning something. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yes, you're right. It's Nazi Germany in in the Empire, and they were in the wrong time frame (laughs) because Doctor Who dropped them off, (laughs) and they're trying to clone, you know, for Captain America. (laughs) So the scientists attempt to destroy the evidence. Mithril uncovers a recording from Doctor Pershing. That reveals he had been transfusing the blood of the child that has which has a high M count into test subjects. So alright, so this just confirmed what a lot of Star Wars fans had suspected about this series all along. Okay. Mm. First off, it's a direct correlation 
to Timothy Zahn's book series where they tried to clone Jedi. Highly unsuccessfully, mind you. In that book series, they tried to clone Jedi. They ended up creating Joris Sebiote along with a clone of the Emperor. None of it went well, by the way. And Sebiote went nuts in his head. The clone for the Emperor just fell apart, became a, a complete... But it's interesting the way they worded some things here, right? He has the high M count. They didn't right come out and say it. But we all assume the M count means what? Midichlorian count. Midichlorian count, right. We all assume M count is midichlorian count. I think it's because if you utter the word midichlorian around really true Star Wars fans, you might end up dead. I think you would have had a whole bunch of Star Wars fans go, screw you, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Screw this, I'm going home. Especially the ones that hated the Phantom Menace. I think you would have lost every single one of those fans because they were like, I hate the Phantom Menace, why? Midichlorians. Okay, well, I guess you're out. Uh, (laughs) But... You know, I I understand why they used the word M count, but I just wish they would have solidified that we are talking about midi chlorine counts. Now, here's where it gets interesting. They're taking blood from the child because he has high M counts, and they were doing what with the blood? Transfusing the blood into well, these test subjects. Yeah. Why are they transfusing this blood into test subjects? What are they trying to do? Make a force uh, soldier. There you go. They want a force using trooper. They probably want to do what the Emperor was trying to do during the Clone Wars, which was create an army of Sith Masters that serve a, a single kind purpose. Of. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, oh, good. Still super soldiers, just evil super soldiers. I can't help but wonder if the program that Finn was a part of later on was this program that got scrapped because maybe they found out that if they keep injecting midi-chlorians into the test subjects, it either kills them or messes with them. And figured, well, we're better off not doing that, so they just started cloning people randomly. Mm. Right? Cheaper cheaper workforce. Yeah. All right, so going on. Stormtroopers soon swarm the team, and they are forced to escape before the lava overheats and destroys the base. So now they have to get out of there before their own, basically before their own setup destroys them all. I like uh, the fact that the stormtroopers try to go over and turn, and turn it off, and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, I know. And the Mando flies up and out and shoots a guy, and he falls down into the lava. And they just look at him as yeah. he falls down. <laughs> so here's one thing I didn't talk about real quick. I just want to go back to that a minute. So he uncovers a recording from Doctor Pershing, right? Now Mithril mm-hmm. does. Yes. Is Pershing still alive? Do you think I at know, this point? I know what happens in the other episode, but it proves he's still alive. But I think he is still because the Mando didn't kill him. Right. He shot the droid. He shot the droid, but, you know, that was kind of something that was left up in the air, whether he was still around or even alive. Well, he uh, if you we saw a scene where the Mando wasn't there and he disappeared. Right, right. I get it. I'm just saying that's something to be thinking about here as this, this mean, goes on. I mean, every other soldier on Gideon just kills themselves, so. Right. <laughs> All right, so going on, the Mandalorian flies from the base to retrieve his ship using his jetpack, whilst Karga, Dune, and Mithril steal a, str- a Stormtrooper transport. It's not just a Stormtrooper transport. It's the Stormtrooper transport. It's the one that we saw, well, that I saw way back in A New Hope. It was supposed to be the Stormtrooper transport that got replaced by a bunch of lizards later on and, and in the special ba- edition. It was brought back in the in Mandalorian season right, one. Right, season one, which we got a chance to see. And I was kind of giddy because that was the toy I had as a kid that I always liked. I mean, it was also brought back in, in Rebels, but it was... A, yeah, but it wasn't it as was, cool in Rebels. Cool. And it wasn't live action, so I'm no, sorry. It looks no. better live yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. A chase ensues between the transport driven by Dune 
and speeder bikes manned by scout troopers. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this, like, this is like motorcycles against a tank. Like, seriously, who wins in a motorcycle against a tank attack? I mean, if you're talking speed, it would be the motorcycle. Okay, but let's be realistic. Don't you think the tank could just roll over the motorcycles eventually? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's pretty much what happened here. I mean, even in their best moment, where the scout troopers thought they had them, he had the, the bag of, what it was, the dynamite or whatever it was he had in his hand. He was ready to throw down in, and Garga just, like, like blasts the guy to oblivion. Now, there were some great moments in this, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, which, by the way, is right here. Grief Karga kills the last scout trooper, but TIE fighters launch from the base, chase after them, disabling the transport's cannon. So a TIE fighter comes in behind. It blows up the cannon, and Gar- Karga gets thrown See, Dad, you can hit something. Well, <laughs> only after I've sacrificed my entire <laughs> ship in order to make it a thing. I do want to point out that if this base is, like, such a small base and there's not many people there, right? There's supposed to be a skeleton crew. Yeah, why is there TIE Why is there, there eight TIE fighters with pilots there? Why are there this many stormtroopers? What is it? I, I counted five scout troops. There's at least two stormtrooper transports. This ain't small facility. This is not a skeleton crew. Like I said, it's their true. intel sucked. Okay? Just totally Our sucked. intel was bad. No, duh. <laughs> yeah. So the base soon explodes due to the overheating of the lava. Duh. <laughs> As the TIE fighters close in on Dune, Karga, and Mithril, the Razor Crest appears and destroys the Imperials. I mean, it doesn't just appear. It makes like a heroic entrance. Seriously. <laughs> and the music to this section oh, yeah. was oh, awesome. Wow. <laughs> it was the first time I was kind of like, all right, hey, somebody's got the music down, man. Like, they figured this out. You're and like, I, yeah, the razor you. crest doesn't just come in, man. It comes in thundering in. I love the fact that we've got the child behind the Mandalorian, and he's giggling every time a Tie Fighter is getting like d- impaled. He's giggling about it. They do a, a what is it? A one eighty three sixty half pipe turn, <laughs> and he's giggling the whole time, right up until he pukes out his macaroons. <laughs> Uh, like this blue glue just yeah, like right on his, <laughs> his collar. And he's like, I did think it was kind of, I mean, I thought it was funny that they had him do that. I also thought it was funny he was eating macaroons the whole time still. <laughs> like, he's still stuck on these things. Like, I wonder how he's hard it is to find blue macaroons anymore. It's probably impossible it's at this point. It's got to be made from blue milk. Right? <laughs> oh, hey, that's a treat. Blue milk and blue macaroons. <laughs> Although I'd hate to see what it looks like on the other end. Oh. Right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I would not want to be looking at that toilet bowl. <laughs> That's a disgusting color. To think. You're, yeah, you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Eat some blueberries with it, and it's going to be a great night. So the Razor Crest does this weird half-pipe thing, turns around, totally smashes the last TIE fighter, destroys the Imperials. With his ship repaired and Navarro secured, Mando heads for Corvus to track down Ahsoka Tano. The New Republic visits Cargus, and now we're talking about the end. So basically they offer to help Mando, and he's like, I don't need your help. I'm going to take off now. i got to go help out the kid. And they're like, great, good luck. Have fun. Uh, Have fun, right. Debt's paid off. Don't worry about it. So New Republic visits Karga to investigate the incident with Captain Carson Tava from last episode. Noting something is brewing, we need to put a stop to it. Tava speaks with Dune. And tries asking for help in fighting remnants of the Empire. By the way, he also talks quite a bit with with Karga. And I loved Karga's reaction, which is basically, I don't know nothing, man. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you, if I report anything, I'll send you a right. gram. Right. <laughs> if I have anything to report, and I, I thought it was interesting. Teva, the discussion he has with Dune is is very 
uh, it opens up some information about Dune we didn't know. For example, she definitely was involved with fighting off the Empire. So he speaks with Dune and tries asking for her help in fighting remnants of the Empire. When Alderaan, Dune's homeworld, is mentioned, she tells Teva she lost everything after its destruction. So a lot of people know that before Alderaan was destroyed, there were remnants of Alderinians that were involved in other battles. Now, it didn't happen right on Alderaan, but there were factions around Alderaan that fought against the Empire. Now, if you remember, Leia said, you can't, we're a peaceful people. That's kind of a lie. They were a peaceful people on their planet, but when it came to being off their planet, mm, not so much. And I thought it was interesting that we finally find out that Cara Dune is from Alderaan. And like you said, Austin, you made a valid Just point. imagine sitting in the room with Princess Leia and her. Good I mean, night. two powerful females, right? Women. I mean, from one, Alderaan one, that would little, have quite a bit of story to tell, right? One's a little more scary than the other. <laughs> I know, Leia is just scary. I, no. She's... <laughs> you said you were. My goodness. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, man, you don't understand. Uh, I was so, for the laughter, though. Uh, an Imperial officer receives confirmation from one of the mechanics working for Grief Cargo that a tracking beacon has been placed on the Razor Crest. So this girl on one of the ships. It gets confirmation that a tracking beacon has been put on the Razor Crest. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to who this girl possibly could be. So one of the speculations is this is actually another Mandalorian from the clone or from Rebels, actually. Mm. So I'll let you all put that together. Austin, who is that? Well, that's Sabine Wren. That's your what you said. I right. don't think that's, that's true. That's the rumors that it's Sabine Wren. Others are saying maybe it's just possible rebel spy. Right? That's on Gideon's ship. I don't think she's even a rebel spy. I think she's just an Imperial person. Just a person? Yeah. Like, she has no... I was going to say... I, I, and that's the thing. Like, I'm kind of like, come on. You know, me, me, either there is a big deal here with her, because she shows up in several episodes later on, or she's just kind of a know-nothing person. You know, kind of makes me wonder if she's kind of like... Governor Price. Price. Thank you. I kind of wonder if she's like Price, where you think she's something, and it's really not. It's yeah, not a big she's deal. She's just like there. She's just there. Yeah. So, Moss, Moth, Moss, let me try it again. Moth Gideon is informed and declares that they will be ready, and he's standing in front of an entire deck full of dark troopers, phase two dark troopers. And I knew, I would, you know, there's a lot of speculation about what we were looking at. I knew exactly what they were the minute I saw them. If you've played Dark Forces or any Kyle Katarn game from the 1990s, you would have seen those dark, those Phase Two Dark Trooper troopers, and they come up later on. By the way, I was going to say they come up later on in the season in several up, spots that are say, important. They come up in the next episode, and I think the final. I can't remember. Oh, they're definitely in the final. I was going to yep. say we'll, we'll get to them eventually. No, we'll get to them. It, it's just a matter of time. So, thoughts about the episode? If I'm going to do a rating, I'll give it a eight out of ten. It was not bad. There's some weird, like, we're trying to input some humor or try to, like, push the kid off so that we don't have to worry about him. The whole school scene, and in specifically, hitting, handing the kid off to the school rather than just, I don't know, having him hang out with the Mando and having to make sure he gets protected. Instead, we put him in the school, and then we can just focus on the rest. Maybe that's more of so we don't have to deal with, well, the Mando's not the prime subject, it's the child, which All I right. understand. 
See, I was going to give this one about a 9 out of 10. It's not the best episode of the oh, season. No. no, no, no. It's kind of helpful that I've seen the whole season. <laughs> so yeah, I can yeah, kind of There's much better to it. come. That's why I give it an 8. But I like all... I, I, there's a lot I like in this episode. Uh, first off, I actually... I was kind of shocked that I liked Horatio Stan's character throughout the whole thing, Mithril. Mm. He really was kind of... You know, like, there's some good banter and humor with him throughout this whole episode. I liked all the action. I, I, I thought it was well-paced. Like you said, good blocking. I liked the the information we got about why they're going after the asset now like what what are they really after to know it's a cloning program which we kind of suspected but to now get like confirmation that that's what they're doing that kind of helped me out a little bit i like i like that conversation it's not even really confirmation just kind of a hint at you didn't need to tell us everything uh and and there's also more to come I, I liked leaving on the cliffhanger with the Dark Two Phase Trooper. I, I think there's something kind of cool about that there. And there's just a lot of good stuff in this episode and good humor. Whether it's it's the little one zapping himself or the little one puking on himself <laughs> or, you know, force pulling macaroons. Although if you notice all the comedy is pretty much centralized around the child. Yeah. And he was like extremely cute in this episode, almost like sugary, syrupy, sweet so. But I was okay with it. It worked. Yeah. It worked for this episode. Mm. Was there anything in this episode that you would have redone or liked to have seen redone? The amount of stormtroopers in the base and also put a freaking railing over there by the lava pit. Okay. What the dudes? Yeah. Why isn't there a railing? I think that was a reference to the robot chicken joke. No, it's Family Guy. It's Family Guy. Oh, that's right. Family Guy. That's they right. go off and yep. shoot, they shoot Why the would they put a railing here? Because they're afraid we'd be leaning around, right? Like, we'll so be leaning all day. We right. won't be productive. Really? I'm going to fall into the laser. <laughs> I do think that might have been a reference to that Family Guy joke. I really do. I think I think Favreau's watched those, and I think he's like giving a little mini hat tip there to to that crew. I the part I, that bothered me, I the, there were too many tie fighters. I was going to say like two it, or three at most. They had like four or five or even six well, of them. Okay, let's let's be fair. Let's say they have a squad yeah. of tie fighters. That might be for for aerial protection. Right. If pirates or something go try to raid the base for... But let's be honest. If they had six to eight TIE fighters, couldn't they put a kind of a kibosh on Navarro, the whole planet? Like, couldn't they... See, I kind of feel like there's freedom on the planet except for this little spot. But now that they had all this equipment there, I'm like, it's not that little spot then. Half the planet's got to be under Imperial rule. Or there's a lot of wasted equipment here, and for what end? You know, like, to what... Yeah. For what purpose? I have a lot of questions about that, but that, that's one of the minor plot holes that didn't make any sense. Is yeah, you have here's the green area which was safe, and this red dot over here is what we need to go take that's care bad. of. <laughs> Don't go over there. Meanwhile, there's all this white space. What's the white space? <laughs> that's where everything's good and grand and wonderful. Yeah, it's not under jurisdiction of anyone. Well, or anything. Yes, I, I yeah. like the site nod to at the beginning of the show, the very beginning of the episode. We see where the mythoskull stood. Oh and yeah, it's like the shit, and it's gone. You can kind of see where it was mounted too, like through yep. the eyes. Yep, and you're sitting there going, "Oh, that's where we are. Okay, we're back here." <laughs> yeah, I like that they didn't need to tell you that. You just kind of got got it without. Yeah, the Mando show itself has a tendency to jump right into the episode. Mm -hmm. Let's say you skip past the recap, you can jump into the episode and still be able to pick up where you're going off of from last episode, or even if you don't have a hundred percent understanding of like two episodes ago. You're right. Though I can understand which, when you get towards the end of the season, you have to really know everything meshes which together. I th I think is a product of good storytelling. So if you're really good at your storytelling and prop building, then I think all that stuff kind of comes together without you having to like. You don't have to be like, 
We're in the basement where the armory was. You don't need to do that. Like you can Big just blinking neon right, signs. Like, <laughs> you don't need to do that. You can just you know give us a little hints and enough. We're smart. We can figure it out. We're good. We know we're smart people. We're, we're a good audience. We're yeah. We're pretty smart people. We can figure that part out. Okay, so those are our thoughts on this episode of The Mandalorian. I think we both kind of liked this one. I think this is one of the better episodes we saw. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so let us know. Email us at galaxycast at gmail.com. Head on over to our YouTube page, make some comments. Head to our Facebook page and our Twitter page, make us some comments there, and let us know what you thought of this episode of The Mandalorian and of our podcast today. And if you're on Facebook, I'm going to start saying this now, as weird as it is, hit that like and subscribe button. Please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel if you want to get us every time we put up a raw feed of what we're doing the raw feed over there by the way is much more interesting than the stuff here i mean you get to look at us and maybe you'd appreciate that maybe you wouldn't but at the same time it's your chance to like and subscribe and if you're on a podcast catcher please make sure that you're subscribing to our channel so with all that as we like to say here in the star production studios may May the the force be with those who listen to jedi killer dillian and shatterpants Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the GalaxyCast. We hope the show enlightened you on some of the latest stories in the realms of science fiction, fantasy, and cosplay. We appreciate your time and we also value your opinion. We'd love to hear from you. Please take some time to send us your feedback at our email, which is galaxycast at gmail.com. Or you can contact us via social media. Just head on over to Facebook or Twitter and search the word GalaxyCast, all one word, and leave us some comments. If you want to see some behind the scenes of our production, head on over to YouTube and search GalaxyCast there as well. You will find us under our Star Productions banner. The GalaxyCast podcast can also be found online at GalaxyCast.com or through your podcast aggregators like the Apple Store or Spotify. The Galaxy Cast is a production by Star Productions. Themed commercials within this episode are also written and produced by Bob Chrisman through Star Productions, all rights reserved. Music from the intro and outro of the Galaxy Cast can be found online at www.silvermansound.com. Intro music is titled Switch Me On, and outro music is titled The Gatekeepers. You can find links in our show notes. Until next time, Galaxy Cast fans. Follow the first star to the right and straight on till morning.